All right. Last distinctive, ventures of faith. Ventures of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith, the process of faith, is to follow what God has revealed. If you say that you have biblical faith, but your faith does not refer you to the word of God, it's foolishness. If I have godly faith, biblical faith, it is based on what God has revealed. What he says to be true. That's biblical faith. The revelation of God's word is the only thing that we can be certain of that it's absolutely true and trustworthy. And the only standard by which everything must be judged. It is the plumb line and we put everything up against that plumb line. And if it doesn't match, we throw it out. A venture of faith is distinct from being presumptuous or doing what you want through the energies of your own flesh or your own prompting or plotting. It is simply trusting God as he directs and guides and leads and opens those doors and then see him bless the work that he's called you to be part of. It's not saying, well, I think I'll do this. God, can you bless my work? No. It's letting God lead us and guide us so that we can see God bless his own work. So he gets the glory. Nobody else does. So the last distinctive of Calvary Chapel here, Adventures of Faith, uh, we want to look at it from three perspectives. First, the biblical principle from the past. Second, the biblical principle repeated in the present. And thirdly, the biblical principle relied on for the future. The biblical principle for the past. Again, everything we do must be biblically based. The philosophy of ministry must be biblical. The principle for well, a venture of faith uh, are seen through the life of Abraham in his first call by God while he was still in Mesopotamia to come out of Ur the Chaldees. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur the Chaldees to go out in the land of Canaan, that they came to Haran and dwelt there. So Genesis 11.31, the passage would seem to indicate that it was Terah who was going out at this point. But Abram is the one that's confirmed by Acts 7, 1 through 3, where Stephen says that it was Abraham. So again, the Old Testament gives revelation when it's not real clear. The commentary of the Old Testament is the New Testament, never the reverse. It's the New Testament that gives the commentary on the Old. Because the Old is all progressive and fragmented, and the New is the completion, the fulfillment of the Old. So it gives us the commentary. Now, the home of Abraham was a city of Ur, as you know, southern Babylon. And Babylon always refers to those things against God. It goes back all the way to the city of Nineveh in the beginning. And uh, as the area of Iraq, the Euphrates River, a pagan idolatrous place, temples, ziggurats, all that, the Tower of Babel. And uh, so that means that Abram was uh, a pagan. He worshipped the moon god, okay, and many others. The journey was along the Euphrates River northwest of Haran, going uh, into the area of modern-day Iraq and Syria at southerly center part of Turkey. So that's the, 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 the basic area that we're talking about. Haran means a mountaineer, and it's located in Mesopotamia in what sometimes we read with Abraham's uh, record, 
Padam Aram at the foot of um, Mount Masius between Kabor and the Euphrates. So that basic region of, of Iraq uh, and, and then south there to Syria. That's why Moses calls um, Abram a Syrian in Deuteronomy 26.5 um, because of the area of Haran. So um, sometimes you guys read the, the Old Testament on Abraham and you say, oh, he, was a Jew. he wasn't always a Jew. He's a Gentile. He was a pagan. Okay? Just like you and I were. <laughs> okay? Same thing. Now, Abram remained in Haran, notice, till the death of his father, Terah, when he died at 205 years old, Genesis 11.32 tells us. This is the first of two calls of Abraham, which many people don't understand. So the first one is from Ur. The second call is going to come out of Haran. So Terah was 70 years old when he begot Abraham or Abram, and he died at 205 in Haran, Genesis eleven twenty six and 32 tells us. That gives us 135 years space. How long Abraham dwelt in Haran is not known. First of all, we don't have a date, and we don't have his age when, when he got there or, or left to Haran. But we do have Abram's age of 75 when he departed from Haran in Genesis 12:4 and in Acts 7, 1 through 3. If Abraham, and we can only take a guess, but let's just take a medium age, if Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees at 30 years of age, it would mean that he delayed 45 years in Haran until the death of his father. Okay? If he was older, it would be shorter. If he was younger, it would be longer. Okay? But just to give you an idea. But the, the point is that he didn't completely obey God in the first call. All right? He, he let family ties hinder him. He didn't go fully into the land of Canaan. Not the land of the PLO, but the land of Canaan. There's never been a Palestinian state. There's never been a Palestinian flag. There's never been a Palestinian people, except in the figment of Yasser Arafat's imagination and CNN and the Arab nations, Okay. So if you're going to study history, study the biblical history, not the contorted and twisted and fabricated history of the human race. All right? Very important. Now, the call to Abram at Haran in chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, is the second call then. The tense indicates and confirms this previous call in the past. Listen to 12.1. The Lord had said to Abram, past tense, he had said, first, to separate from a country or home and land. Second, to separate from his kindred, cultural race. Third, to separate from his father's house, blood relatives. And fourth, to seek a land God would show him. God always calls us out of something in order to call us into something else. He's called us out of darkness and sin into light and holiness. Always. 
Notice the promise in verse 2 of chapter 12 is sovereignly given. God would make him a great nation. God would bless him. God would make his name great. And God would see to his blessing. This is still applicable today. Who is Abraham? He's one of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's Jacob? Jacob's name is Israel. Abraham's the father of Israel. The three patriarchs. So all these things are applicable to Israel today. Do not believe the teaching of replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the church is now spiritual Israel. And they got us through with Israel and has nothing else to do with her. What do you do with Romans 9, 10, and 11? What do you do with the book of Revelation chapter 6 to 18? And many other passages of the Old Testament that God says he will bring Israel back. Jeremiah 33, 31. Other passages. And yet 99% of the church and all the colleges... Fuller Seminary, APU, and others, they all teach that. The woman who's a wife has been put away by divorce for spiritual adultery. God will deal with her once again, bring her back in. The church is the virgin bride looking for a wedding. You must make a distinction between those two. You cannot put them together. Very, very important. Now, look at verse 3 of 12. There's a protection here that is supreme. To make him a blessing to all who bless him, I will bless those who bless you. That's still applicable today. Do you realize what protection came over the United States in this election? When President Trump is going to be working hand in hand with Netanyahu Israel? Do you realize what danger we have been under for eight years and would have been in more severe danger? Forget your politics. I'm talking about biblical principles here. Okay, listen. I will bless those who bless you. We were not blessing Israel. Obama let Netanyahu sit in the back, brought him in through the back door and let him sit for hours and didn't meet with him. Whoa. To make sure his enemies are avenged. Listen, and I will curse those who curse you. I'm not saying everything the Jews do is right. I'm just saying I'm not stupid. If God's for Israel, I'm not going to be against Israel. All right? It's just that simple. Thirdly, to make him the channel of salvation to the entire world, Jew and Gentile. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Through Abraham came the Messiah. The Gentiles were always included. It just was a matter of time. The Gentiles were not plan B in case plan A failed. <laughs> all right? And so these are principles that are very much effective today. And God honors his word above his name. So Abraham obeyed God at the age of 75. Um, Genesis 12, 4 um, through 9 there tells us that Abraham took his wife Sarai and Lot, which he would become a problem later on. We won't get into that. But in the land, you know, they got envious and, and covetous and all that. And, um, and then in verse 6 to 7, the Lord appears to Abraham as he passes through Shechem to, uh, to the tree of Moray, and there he built an altar of God, so he's worshiping God, he's growing in his relationship with him. And again, it's the land of Canaan, okay? 
the original inhabitants of the land are the Canaanites. You have all kinds of other guys, Jebusites and all the other guys, but it's the land of Canaan. In verse 8, Abraham then pitched his tent to Bethel, house of God, and he built another altar there as he worships God. And he is moving in this relationship that God is guiding him, directing him as he has called him out. He moves in verse 9 down to the Negev towards the south. God has moved them from Ur the Chaldees. God is directing and guiding them. God has done the same in your life as he called you out of darkness. He has moved you. As you look back to your life, the years you've walked with God, the things that he's done for you, the things he's done through you, how he's guided you, how he's protected you, how he's disciplined you, how he's allowed you to trust yourself, and you've ate it big times, and he's merciful. He picks you up, and here he is. He puts you on your feet. All of that. That's all your history. The name Abram is very significant. Um, While well, he was there on Ur, it's found 57 times between chapter 11 and chapter 17. It only appears two other times apart from that in First Chronicles 127 and Nehemiah 9.7. It means father is exalted, conveying love of, of a father. God loves his people. God is looking for, the, now God loves the world, but he, he doesn't save us by his love. Any more than your love could save a wayward daughter or son from their life. Your love can't save them. He saved us through the sacrifice of his son and his blood. And now once we're saved, he can give us the benefit of his love. But the motive is love, but love alone can't save us. There's got to be a real payment and that was the death of his son for us. Then his name is changed by God in Genesis seventeen five, um, as God is attempted to be helped by Abraham and Sarah as he takes Hagar, concluding that God meant for him to have a child through her. And you know, the last thing you need in your life is a uh, Ishmael. They don't seem to go away. Israel is still paying for Ishmael. Okay? It's just the way it is. God was going to do it in a way that didn't involve them. But they thought they'd help God out. Whenever you and I try to help God out, we get ourselves into big trouble. And the problem is, we're not in it alone. We usually affect other people. No one sins to himself. And so his name Abraham appears 168 times in the Old Testament, 77 times in the New Testament. It means father of a multitude. His name was, did not match his condition. I mean, it was a contradiction. He had no children. You can imagine him inviting somebody to have coffee as he's walking down the road and invites a man. He says, oh, your name's Abraham. How many children do you have? It's none. But God had promised, right? God has promised that he's forgiven you for all your sins. You're a new creature, right? But some of your friends and relatives say, really? It seems a contradiction to them, huh? He, it was shame to him. Because when a woman couldn't bear children in that culture, it meant that they were in disfavor with God. So from the perspective of man, He's a contradiction to his name. 
He should be ashamed of himself. And here he's boasting about what God's going to be doing. But you see, it was prophetic of what God was going to do. Just like he's promised you what he's going to do in you and through you. Just as you've seen him do that already to the point where you walk with God, how much more will he do? He will finish that work in the day of Jesus Christ. Abraham, being a pagan Gentile, believed God, and so he ventured out in faith. This is the model. It's a biblical model, not a worldly model. Joshua confirms this in Joshua 24, 2-3. He says, um, uh, thus, uh, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in the old times, and they served other gods. They were pagans, idolaters. Then I took your father Abram from the other side of the river, led him through out all the land of Canaan, and implied and multiplied the descendants and gave him Isaac. Notice how easy our ear tunes to the world and their contortions and distortions and lies. Land of Canaan, you've heard it over and over again, right? What is it you hear over every politician and newscaster? America's a democracy. Slap them in the head. It's a republic. It's not a democracy. Never has been, never will be, as long as we have a constitution. It's a republic. To the republic for which we stand one nation under God. But see, people change things just by their rhetoric. Okay? And before you know it, nobody knows the past history, right? Simple. So the biblical principle from the past is Abram, the model of a virtue of faith, for Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. So even though we thank God for Pastor Chuck Smith, who followed the biblical model, we want to keep that going, but we're not following Pastor Chuck Smith, we're following the biblical model of Abraham and what's biblical. Okay? Second is the biblical principle repeated in the present. Now that we know and we've seen God work in the past, and we'll go through some of this because now we'll make that application, you have history. When, when difficult things come into your life, as husband and wife, your children, or whatever it may be, you have to look to the past years that you walk with God and see how faithful He's been and how He's pulled you out of some very difficult situations. And He's done it in such a way that you would have never done it that way. So that is your model to keep you from being stupid and trying to help God. The people and leadership of Calvary Child Pasadena have witnessed the Lord raise up a church. God called me out of Calvary, West Covina, Calvary Chapel, in 1976. I was born again in 70, 1973 through an eye accident. My brother and I used to have Kung Fu Studios. One of the sticks broke, punctured my right eye. And I used to have two eyes, and I was blind. I lost one, and now I was seeing. And the Lord saved me. Okay? And um, we used to just have Bible studies in our Kung Fu studios. And our students would come to the Lord. We'd do parks. We'd do different things. And uh, I was going to Cal State at that time, um, L.A., and I was going to be a Spanish teacher and gymnastic coach because that's how I got through school. It gave me a, a gymnastic scholarship, and I went there. And um, um, 
I had no plans of being a pastor. And I don't say that in all oh, God, God surely made that one. No, no, no. I mean, in other words, I was just a Christian. And, and we were just excited that God had forgiven us and that God had pulled us out of the world and that God now had, had, was using us and we were ministering the gospel and that, that, that we were waiting for the Lord to return and we still are. There was no imagination of a building and people and being a good speaker. That, none of that junk's there. This is what everybody... I don't look at tweeting, whatever they all call, all those FaceTime, worrying about whatever. But Fernando and Diego keep on, and they show me something. I go, don't show me that. All these pastors, they think that they are movie stars. They're, look at me running. Here I am. My family and me. Who cares about your family and you? Are you that important? My Lord. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. It's crazy. Are they serious? Unreal. I was working at Johnson Pump in 1975, right off Lone Hill, right there where the Chevy and the Toyota dealer where it used to be a big uh, sub-pump and company for Saudi Arabia, all big old huge things. And, um, and, and Trudy was, was pregnant, um, and I, I got a job there with the Gary Cervantes and that, and they bumped me. And I was, I graduated from college, I have a BA, and here I'm grinding pipes. And they bumped me. And, and I said, well, what else can I do? He says, well, all we have is a sweeping. I said, well, give me the broom. So I swept for about an hour. And then a guy came up to say, listen, we've heard you've taught school this and that. Yeah. He said, there's a guy retiring in the well shop. Would you like to be the expert there? I said, sure, why not? God, God take care of me. And then they move into this other shop with impellers and propellers. You have to file them. They're brass and all of this. It's a place where there's more eye injuries. Here I am, one eye jack in this place. I'm doing this. Like, come on. But God, God was going to prepare me in a way. My lunchbox, little hole, put that tape recorder in there, put those earphones on, and for nine hours a day, I listened to Pastor Chuck Smith for a whole year. They prepared me to go to ministry. That was my seminary. Now, I would have never chosen that, but that's the way God did it. We don't always know where God's guiding us, what he says. Sometimes we think, ah, I think I'll just put a tape there. You, know, you don't know what God's doing. Then I was asked to go on staff in 1976, one year. God called me then out to Alhambra in June of 1980 to Alhambra to start a Bible study. We were there for six and a half years till 86. It was there at the house of George Guterres from March to June. We stepped out on Sunday services, never went back. We had the YMCA in 1980, the Women's Club 80 to 81, Masonic Lodge 81 to 83, Seventh-day Adventist 83 to 85, the Church in Temple City, our midweek study 85 to 86, while we were the cockroach-infested theater, 85 and 86 also. These were all different places we had to go, and, and, and everybody came with the truck. We put everything in there. We set it up. We cleaned everything. We all that. People were excited. People were getting saved. We're doing this. We didn't have no huge building. We didn't have a whole bunch of people. People were excited because they were being saved. And they were going right out and sharing their faith with others and praying for their loved ones and everything else. And God is doing and God's taking care of us. We were pennies over, pennies under. God is taking care of us. 
all the way. He met all of our needs. In fact, the cockroach infested theater is not there anymore. It was there. They, and then they tore it down, built a new one, and then they tore it down, and now they put a big office building there. But um, thank God there was only one light bulb in it because the cockroaches were big enough you could ride them to the restroom. <laughs> and uh, when there, it was rainy season because of the slope, and we used to put a platform about 12 inches, and I'd be on it, and water would be all over, and all the cables all in there and all that. But God took care of us. It didn't matter to us. God was doing a work. We had no idea. And then the people in the leadership of Calvary Chapel also witnessed the Lord provide this building and the finances for it. In 1986, to the present, we stand here by the grace of God to no glory to any man, to any person, but to God and the obedience of God's people as they give their hearts to them. We walked into this place October the 1st of 1986. The church had only 300 people. The building was going for a million two hundred thousand. We settled a million eighty. 300 people. Do your math. The loan was attained through a secular bank. They held it, locked it in. Unheard of for that time. If you remember back, the interest rates were difficult times. We needed 260000 for the down. God provided two hundred twenty-five. I don't know how. And we made a second for 35000 And then we were told the loan was due in five. A million eighty thousand. Now, I'm the president of Calvary Chapel Pasadena because by law we have to have a board. So I'm the first to go to jail. Okay? I'm the first to go to jail. Please understand that. Okay? Um, but I said, Lord, you know, you, you've done something that is just horrific, just incredible. I don't know what you have in five years. You must know what you're going to do. If you gave us this building with 300 people, We'll walk through it, Lord. The church was run down in condition. The roof was supposed to hold up. The first winter, it leaked. Me and Mari were climbing up here, putting plastic around, putting them in uh, buckets and that. But it didn't matter. God had given us this building. We replaced the roof. And um, then a year to the day, October the 1st of 1987. Any of you recall what happened? The Whittier earthquake. Devastated California. We had a brick building, little brick building where the, where the gym stands. This is where the Nazarene church began. It was a beautiful old Gothic church. You've gone and seen some of down Del Mar, some of the hotel were real burnt brick, real beautiful. Cracked it. We could never occupy it. We were all bummed out. We we're going to make it our bookstore and everything. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Educational building had to be refaced. We did that also. The Lord took care of it. Then we refinanced from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan five years after that. We started looking at four years. We pulled out 90000 because reality went up so much. We remodeled the parking lot. The parking lot had no lights. The parking lot looked like Gumby's head. 
And um, then we also did the sanctuary a little bit and the office area. That was 1990. Now, the finance company that we were refined with declared to be Christian, but they weren't so Christian. They were kind of like a pancake half done. They tied us into a 10-year T-bill, national T-bill. And God never allowed that interest to go up. And so we started paying 5% more each month, then 10%, and then periodically when we could make larger payments. And God eventually just paid the building off. While all this is going on, there is no begging. When we moved in here, there was no cookie sales, no car washes, no sad stories. We just continued teaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek, doing outreach, everything. everything else goes on. Okay? Then we felt that the Lord was leading us to build a gym because we were taking the kids up north here, Pasadena, and it was dark and late. And, and I, one day we were, I was sitting in Mario's office there, and all that, all that building on the bottom, all, all the offices used to have windows. And Mario had a big slider. He, he is a Cadillac guy. And so <laughs> the squirrel used to come down the oak tree and he'd feed it all the time. I said, quit feeding the animals. You know, they're feeding. And so there was a grass here, and I said, get the tape. Let's measure this out. So we measured it out and said, well, you know what? We could drop a gym here, maybe. Now, I was just thinking. But it was God all along, and I'll show you why. But I didn't know it was God. The five feet short, I said, who cares if it was five feet short of a bed? Let's, let's see. So Mario has his brother. He's a construction guy. And so we called him, and we looked at some prices, all that. And uh, we decided, well, let's do it. We prayed about it for a while and told people, no, no, again, no begging, no nothing. And um, we... Built it with a 13-inch block straight up, filled it, dropped the lid inside, got a gym, $345,000. That was the first time we had some extra money in the bank. By the time we got done, put the key in, it was paid off, and we had more money in the bank. Am I telling you this to both? No, I tell you this with just awe of God. And the graciousness and the obedience of God's people when they see God work through his word. It's an amazing thing. Here again, God was leading. If God had not sent that earthquake, we would have never built that gym. God gave us the building, then he had to crack that building so we can build a building. And he provided everything. To us, it was a tragedy. Oh, the building. God says, forget the building. I can build another building. God's ways are not ours, are they? God never takes anything from you except he gives you something much better, ladies and gentlemen. Always. So that your faith and trust is in God, not in the pastor, not in the leadership, not in anything else. Thank God for everybody. But it's God who does it. We just have to be sensitive, obedient to him, to hear him. Then we um, remodeled the entire outside of the church in 201. Got put it all together again, the finances. We continued to do ministry in the way that we always have. And once again, nobody is ever burdened about anything. This past year, we did the whole sound system and the video so we can have everything and both everything else. God took care of it. Never did we ever, nobody, nobody's bothered. 
God's in it. He's guiding. He's providing. He takes care of it. And, and there have been, and, and I give you the highlights, but there's a lot of valleys in between these highlights. There's sometimes we thought God was in it, and we stepped out, and it wasn't, and we said, we don't go there. There's sometimes we thought it was God, and it was us, and we were off the wall. But God protects us as you're open to him, you're directing, and you know, okay, if you're not in, if you're not opening those doors, then we, we're going to back off. It's when you get presumptuous and arrogant. And Here's the problem if you, if you have money. When you have money, here's the problem. Ready? You can do anything you want. Money is the problem. Having no money is not a problem. You have to trust God. You have to thank God. So, whatever God does in us, whether we have money or not, we should always look to God and thank Him for it. And, and be just appreciative of, of His goodness. And when He does something, it's not just because of me or because of you. It's because God wants to reach to the lost. He's given us four years at least of window time, ladies and gentlemen. I can't overemphasize that. Street witnessing went on. The concerts went on. Concerts were good for a while. Then we cut them off because they weren't being used. And we went to the park. We were doing it. Okay, then they didn't go, so we cut them. Now we brought them back in here. So we want to make sure that God's in it. If a ministry is not flowing, it's not really producing, then we give a decent burial, as Pastor Chuck used to say. Just don't give it mouth to mouth. Just bury it. Say, Lord, okay, what, what else do you have? No big deal. Um, we've done medical outreaches and missions to Mexico, uh, Central America, you know, England, um, Spain, different things. What we've done, well, not medical in England, but we've gone on missions and different things. And so, again, we go where we believe God is directing, and um, and when He's in it, fine. If not, then you let it go. But it's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one that's standing still or sitting. You see. I mean, the whole illustration of, of the body is that all the members, every part of your body is, is useful for something. And yet the church so often, I, I would say that in the average church, and I, and I, I never see your money. I, I, don't, I don't know who gives. I don't know who, who gives or how much. I don't, I don't look at that. I, I don't worry about that, okay? But I, I guarantee you that the average church, you've got probably... 10 to 15% of the people that are involved in ministry as well as finances. What would happen if 100% of a church would be involved? God help that city. If 100% of the body was praying and being involved and being used, man, the illustration can never be missed. Hands, feet, head, every one head directs the whole body. Jesus Christ. So you need to go to God and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Don't come to me. I'm not God. You go to God. If he's brought you here, you may be a toe. You may be a finger. You may be an ear. I don't know. God will show you. God will lead you. And I'll see God use you and I will just thank God and rejoice. The internet radio station that God just dropped in our laps lately. We made our debut broadcast from 
Jerusalem and the hotel in May. 24-7. Radio is very expensive. Very expensive. So we've gone at times and we've gotten off because the funds aren't there. No big deal. We don't tell you guys. We don't cry like little girls. And just, whatever. God's not in He's not in it. We have that little four-minute broadcast. That's great. There's just little darts. You know, just ping. That's it. And sometimes I think it's even better because people are so used to teaching, they don't even pay attention. And all of a sudden, they know they've got four minutes that get nailed. And they tune in. But this radio station, everything that's ever been done here, verse by verse, Genesis to Revelation is on there. The Sunday morning depth studies, on there. Genesis to Revelation. The in-depth studies, small people, on there. Now, we have the character studies, the women's studies. Now, the Spanish, verse by verse, all the New Testament and all the second coming packed. We have all, all of Pastor Chuck on there all the time. We have music on there all the time. And anybody can tune in with just a flip phone and take very little data. You know what that means to someone in China, in, in, in Europe, or, or wherever they are? Amazing that God would allow us to have the privilege to do this for those that have nothing. What a blessing. What a blessing. And now we have our Tuesday live broadcasts, 11 to 12, as we interview some of the ministries and different pastors and share some of the stuff that's going on in the world with, with the teaching of the church and the heresy that goes on and everything else. It's amazing. I think Johnny told me next week is our, our first year anniversary that was since we started the station with music. Look how fast it's gone. If you don't step out in faith, before you know it, you'll be at your own funeral. Time flies, ladies and gentlemen. Just yesterday, I was 18. I had a lot of hair. It was black. Time flies. And so the biblical principle repeated in the present is the venture of faith. What is being lived and witnessed here at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. Not because of the pastor, not because of the elders, but because of the people of God. Each responding to God's calling, his anointing, stepping up to what he's directing us, and just seeing him bless. And he gets all the glory. So thirdly, the biblical principle relied on for the future. So now you've got a past. You've seen what God has done in your life, what he's doing. But you also have a present history as you see God work. So these two past and present will serve you for the future. You don't know how, where, or when he's going to work. But because he's worked in the past and the present, you know he will work. So that will cause you to tune your ear to him, not to your pastor, not to the elders, but to Jesus Christ. So that you can be a vessel of honor as he uses you. The Lord will open doors. Acts 13.2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I call them. Who called them? The Holy Spirit. Too many people are waiting for pastors and churches to send them out on mission field. 
I've never sent anybody out. I don't want to send anybody out. If God tells you to go, go. Drop me a line. I'll be praying for you. I don't send anybody. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Be it in leading or redirecting a person, it's God. In Acts 16, 6 through 10, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. God says, don't preach. Yep, it's not time. It's not the right place. You might look and say, well, these guys are ready. God says, mm-mm. Oh, no, no, no. God knows the heart. When God closes the door, don't bust it down. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. What, is God anti-gospel or what? God's, God's using their movement to direct them where He wants to get them. We would have never built that gym if He wouldn't have cracked the church. You get the message? God may allow something tragic to come in your life. And you say, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. And as you go through a trust and depending God, you will praise God for that devastation. Because it made you more like Him and less like you. You will worship Him. You will bow down before Him. And a man of Macedonia... I'm sorry, let me back up here. So passing through Mysia, they came down to Troas. And as the vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Here's the commentary with hindsight. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. They finally got it. He's directing us to Philippi. Who's there? Some women at the riverside. Which led to a Philippian jailer and his family and others. Now, who can guide you through life? You or God? <laughs> the scriptures are there to teach us, ladies and gentlemen. All I'm trying to be is less stupid the next day. Okay? And trust God more. And follow his lead. God was the one calling the shots. God led Paul to Macedonia. And you should see your life as God guiding you. But you'll also see your own stupidity at times. And you will see his mercy and you will worship him for that. Very important. Be it for a new ministry to start up. And if God is in it, fine. If not, bury it. Give it a decent burial. God will provide if he's leading, we at Calvary Chapel believe that where God guides, he provides. Those are the words of Pastor Chuck, because they're biblical. We believe at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, that money is not to be raised in pledges or fundraisers. Pastor Chuck never begged on the, on the radio. Never did he say, we appreciate your prayerful support. That's just a hint. He would give things away. Do you realize that Costa Mesa, when Pastor Chuck was there, Twin Peaks never paid for what it, it, it cost 
Costa Mesa always flipped the bill, and Chuck kept it low enough so people could have opportunity to go with their families up there and have retreats and all that. And God blessed Pastor Chuck. Why? Because Pastor Chuck was following God and he was benevolent as God was leading him. He loved the people of God. That's why. And yet now, many Calvaries are sending out letters and begging and everything. The worst is Greg Laurie. Get too big for your own britches, right? Now you're the star. I know you're telling me, well, I look at all the people that say, listen, Balaam used, God used Balaam's jackass. Okay, we all qualify. Because God uses me, I have nothing to boast about. I should worship the Lord and thank Him. The problem is that we believe at Calvary Child Pasadena that if you strive to attain, you're going to have to strive to maintain. Once you take it out of God's hands, it's your baby. All right, you're unsatisfied what I can do? Let's see what you can do. It won't take long. It really won't. We believe, as Calvary Child Pasadena, that as the people are taught, God will deal with each of you. You stand in seats of those who have loved the Lord and have been used of God and they have bequeathed you the heritage of Calvary Chapel Pasadena the location, everything of what God has done. Now it's your turn to bat. You're up at bat. You used to be in the hole, on deck. Now you're up at bat. The Lord will provide the wisdom to live within God's provisions, never beyond them. And so we have always lived within our means, not beyond them. We pull back whenever there's nothing. That's it. No big deal. We have always been open to God leading to continue the work in any way that he wants. We don't try to favor anybody. We let God raise up the people. I don't put my friends into ministry. I don't put my children into ministry. Nepotism is the worst thing, and many of these people have done exactly that. Their sons and daughters a bunch of rats, and they put them in ministry. They're like the sons of Eli. God help us. God help us. We do not believe in playing on your emotions or manipulating you. I realize many of you work very, very, very hard. Some of you work two, even three jobs. And we do not think of it lightly as you come here to sit in this ministry and to give of your finances and of yourself and all that. And we just thank God for you. And uh, we would never want to exalt ourselves above you or anything else. We are, we're, we're just like you. We're just among you. We come out from you. And we walk in the midst of you. Everyone on staff here. You've you got to forget me. You've got great staff. These guys are great. They love you. They're godly. Uh, they're here to serve you in any way they can. And the Lord just, we're just so fortunate. God is so good to us. And so the principle is that through the scriptures to trust the Lord. Let me give you some and we'll close. The first one is found in Second Chronicles 14.11. As these Ethiopians were attacking King Asa with three million men and chariots, Asa cried out to the Lord God and said this, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you 
And in your name we go against the multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. Great prayer. Realizing that you can do nothing. Only God can defend you and help you. After the victory over the Ethiopians, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord Yahweh is with you while you are with him. But if you, if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Don't put your commentary. Take it for face value. You may walk with God, great, like Asa right now, but what's going to happen tomorrow? If you forsake him, he'll forsake you. It's real simple. Later, Asa depended on Syria to defeat him from the king of Israel. At the time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said this to him. Now listen carefully. You've seen what happened the first, then the second, here's the third. Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the, were the Ethiopians and the Laban not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Of course they were. Yet because you relied on the Lord Yahweh, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have war. Second Chronicles 16, 7-9. The end of this verse is quoted all the time out of context by pastors. It's a rebuke to Asa. He's done foolishly depending on the arm of flesh instead of the Lord. You and I depend on the arm of the flesh. We are dead. We're on our own. And it doesn't take long for us to get in trouble. It really doesn't. We're always open to see God work. How he will work, when he will work. We just don't know how and when and where he'll work. But we're open. And we should be seeking him. We have considered many different things. Like buying the building next door. It never came up for sale. They wouldn't sell it to us. Then the guy died and he sold it to this guy. They have a gym. Maybe it's never for us. Maybe it's for us later on. I don't know. We just put it in the back burner, keep praying, whatever, doesn't matter. No big deal. There have been times we've gotten off the radio because it just it's too expensive. The funds are there, no big deal. We get off. Other stations. There's no problem. We considered a coffee shop for the kids away from the church years ago. It didn't pan out. We dropped it. No big deal. We just want to be open to any venture of faith that God might prompt us. Sometimes it begins with our own thoughts and we think, oh, well, let's just do that. Hey, hey Mario, get the tape. Let's, let's measure out here. God was in it. Other times, we thought it was the Lord and it was us. We were dumb. So we dropped it. No big deal. The biblical principle relied on for the future is in order to see what venture of faith God will lead us into next as Calvary Chapel Pasadena. It's exciting to live for the Lord and work for the Lord. It's never a dull moment. <laughs> and he's so good to us. 
You guys remember Jonathan and his armor bearer? As um, Saul, his dad, was blowing the trump and taking all the credit. They stepped out in a venture of faith against the enemy to see if God would deliver them. In 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan said to his young man uh, who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So he said, let, let's, 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 let's expose ourselves so they can see us. And, and if they say, hey, we're going to go down there and teach you a thing or two, then we'll know it's not the Lord. But if they say, come up here to us, then we know the Lord has given them to us. So they showed themselves. They got, come on up here. Come on. They ran through and you know the rest of the story. Who's to know what God wants to do? So we don't want to be presumptuous. I am very... Content with what God has done in my life. But that's different from being complacent. I'm never complacent. Content means I'm thankful to God. I appreciate what God has done. I don't deserve it. But complacency means you just do nothing. You say, ah, I don't want to do that. No. I'm, I'm ready to move. If God opens the door. And while we're waiting and listening, we continue to do the things of ministry, the things that are practical and natural. And we see God work in many, many ways. And so, the last distinctive ventures to face the biblical principle from, from the past as God called and led Abraham. The biblical principle repeated in the present as God is active in our midst here, our history. And the biblical principle relied on for the future to continue to see God work any way he wants to work as he uses you and I. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We love you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your grace over our life and the goodness, Lord. How rich we are in all that you've done. Lord, as we look back and we see what a miracle you've done. Father, just taking us from the world, saving us and using us to reach others. And in your mercy, you've provided a location that we might work out of, Lord. Thank you for your grace. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Maybe you're over the internet. Jesus is God who became man. He died for your sins. He alone can make a new creature. He alone can give to you eternal life. If you believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead, then the Bible says that you can call upon him. And if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. This is your prayer. If you want to be born again, and we want to give you Bible absolutely free before you leave. This is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.